This is Aspire, Arc Street Public Radio, a content-driven platform broadcasting interviews from our Innovate, Innovate Media, Innovate CSR, and Innovate Under 30 podcast series. Aspire gives public voice to socially conscious and forward-thinking leaders within the nonprofit and for-profit sectors, academia, journalism, and social entrepreneurship. Today is April 24th, 2012, and my guest is Molly Barker, founder of Girls on the Run, an international grassroots movement and nonprofit organization that encourages preteen girls to develop self-respect and healthy lifestyles through running. Molly has a master's in social work from the University of North Carolina, and she is a four-time Hawaii Ironman triathlete. Molly's program started with a pilot initiative in 1996 that engaged 13 girls. Today, the movement has spread to more than 176 communities across America, serving literally hundreds of thousands of girls on their journey to be joyful, healthy, and confident. Molly has written two wonderful books about her work, Girls on Track, A Parent's Guide to Inspiring Our Daughters to Achieve a Lifetime of Self-Esteem and Respect, and also Girls Lit from Within, A Guide to Life Outside the Girl Box. And Molly is an Ashoka Fellow. That's something that we both share. Molly, it is such a pleasure to be with you today. I want you to know I have a daughter who's eight years old. Her name is Vera, and she has three older brothers. And last year, in a race at school, she managed to beat all the boys in her class. So it's a (laughs) very special treat for me as a dad to be able to share your wisdom today. That's great. And um, I'd like to start by asking you to tell us how you got inspired to found Girls on the Run. Sure. Um, Well, you know, I, um, well, when I'm a girl, I'm just an older version of one, and discovered around middle school um, some of the challenges that I was facing, I've learned since then, are fairly universal. As a matter of fact, it doesn't really even matter what part of the world a girl lives. There's something that happens around middle school. And the... um, the, the name that we've given that at Girls on the Run is a, is a context we call the girl box. And so these formerly vibrant, alive little beings we call girls begin to see the world through this context that p- says to them, or they hear in their own minds anyway, you know, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not pretty enough, or I'm not uh, good enough. And we these not enoughs kind of vary from ethnic group to geographic region to even parts of the world, but they do exist. And I I began to filter all of my thoughts through the girl box around middle school. And um, when I, I was about 14 when my mom started running. And when she started running, I noticed the real shift in her perspective about herself. You know, mm-hmm. she she really began to sort of own who she was, and she became a much more alive, a very uh, present person. I don't know how to say it. She just she just transformed before my very eyes, and one morning she asked if I'd like to go for a run with her, and I said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So there I was at 14, 15, that very vulnerable age, and my mom started, we started running together, and there was just something very magical about those mornings together, and I'm very convinced that a lot of my work was woven into my my thoughts and just who I am on those early morning runs with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a little bit later, 15 or 16, I, I you know, began to uh, partake in some pretty risky behaviors that a lot of kids do, you know, drinking and, and, and just some other 
behaviors that were not really enhancing who I was. And therein begins the sort of journey to being human. So there was this empowered, alive, amazing, awesome girl who was in conflict with the girl that was very concerned with what other people were thinking about her and being popular and all that. And so when I turned 32, I just, I just had this incredible experience while out on a run where I really began to realize that the, the big people stare at me, the empowered girl needed more attention. And so um, three years later, I started Girls on the Run. And it really is an effort to give girls the tools to stay tapped into um, their more empowered self so that, you know, they're going to be hit with these messages about what it means to be popular or pretty and all those things. But to give them the tools to manage that in a more healthful and, and uh, optimistic way. Awesome. You know, I'd love it if you could talk more about the girl box. I think mm-hmm. that's such a powerful concept. And I know for you, I've heard you talk about it. It's it's really related to self-esteem. It's mm-hmm. it's related to, I think, women's empowerment. It's really related to a whole movement of women on the planet Earth. That's the way yeah. I hear it. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to just talk a little bit more about that so our listeners could understand what that means to you. Sure. So, you know, I am now 51 and it's funny, it's all about perspective. I was listening to uh, a woman speak recently about the grace of being older. You know, you can look back on things. It's much easier to to analyze things when we're older. Um, But the um, oftentimes I remembered things as the world kind of being against me because I was a woman, you know, Um, feeling as if my gender was really limiting who I was. And I think a lot of women go through that experience, you know, starting at that time of middle school, where somehow being a girl, there's just this sense that we are not able to achieve everything we'd like to. You know, Mm -hmm. um, so much of our worth, at least in that external world, is is given to us through our appearance. So that's where the, you know, early the sexualization of girls starts such a young age now, earlier, earlier. And um so I think what the girl box is, is really that perspective that all of our worth is measured by our gender and not always in the most beneficial view of our gender. Mm-hmm. So what we're you know, really trying to help girls understand is um, you don't have to buy into that. You can be, you know, whatever definition you choose to give yourself. If being a girl is part of who you how you want to define yourself, let's pick the parts of that that enhance who you are, not those that limit you. And, you know, this is universal. And, you know, we were talking earlier this morning in my work, at least here in the States, it's often we women that limit ourselves, you know, with our own thoughts. I mean, we really do have a lot of freedoms that women in other nations, even though they may know how strong and empowered they are, they are not free to act upon that empowerment. So, you know, there's there's how the girl box shows up varies certainly from area of the world to area of the world. But here in the States, a lot of it is, is, gosh, just the views and the negative thoughts that women buy into in their own minds. One of the things that I've heard you talk about, and I, I, obviously running is essential to the, whole, mm. to the whole experience of Girls on the Run, but running, it seems like running in your program is so much more than just a physical exercise. It's, it's an opportunity for reflection, for inspiration, maybe even sometimes approaching prayer. <laughs> I wonder, can you talk about how running offers a, a way to open up 
these kinds of opportunities for the girls to participate, and then how that connects to breaking out of the girl box, so to speak. Right. And you, you know what's cool, David, when you say that? Yeah, you got it. That's It's all those things. And I was thinking when I first started running at age 14 or 15, it was really a sanctuary for me. It was a place where all of those negative voices, you know, I'm not pretty enough or thin enough or whatever it is, you know, just went away. And I was not aware of those voices slipping away. I just knew that I felt really awesome when I ran, you know. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older, I've been able to articulate more about that space. And so what we're doing with these girls is inviting them to see what running provides for them. And for some of the girls, it's fellowship. You know, it's time to be with your best girlfriend and talk about everything that's going on and really get stuff out. For other women, it's kind of going through their day and processing. For other women and girls, it's eliminating all thought. It is like meditation. Mm. For other women, it's prayer, you know, whatever. Um, for some women, it is purely cardiovascular. You know, it's just right. about staying healthy. And for others, it's the endorphins. You know, they, they may not necessarily like the running, but they sure like when it's over. Right. <laughs> So, you know, it's helping everybody identify what elements of it, what is it doing for you? And then, you know, are there other ways you can also get the, those same needs met through meditation or quiet time or, yeah. you know, time with healthy friends, things like that? I think it's so powerful how you've combined things that we don't normally associate in youth programming, which is physical activity with social and emotional learning. And hearing you talk about your work, it's clear that one of the powerful things about your program really emerges from the interaction among the girls and between the girls and their coaches and mentors. And I wonder if you could tell us on a practical level, how do you achieve that? Yeah. Yeah. So in 1996, when I started this, um, I wrote out a curriculum and it is the core of what we do the curriculum has obviously changed over the years when I started girls on the run the internet was hardly of use and there was no such thing as social media so we keep updating it to remain relevant but it is the backbone of the program so it is a 12-week curriculum that a coach in Cincinnati and a coach in you know Florida all everywhere is going to use this same core curriculum and it is based on the work of a couple of researchers and Weinstein that discovered three really critical parts to helping um, girls and boys as well, but girls really um, stay true to their themselves and where they find their worth. And those three things were a sense of value and knowing what was valuable to them. The second thing was a feeling of connectedness, and this is where empathy really plays a big role. And the third thing was a feeling of power, and it's not over other people. But it's this sense that when things are not going, when, when I'm feeling um, victimized or I feel like I have nowhere to go, it's helping the girls identify where is your power and what can you do about it. So that's where the whole change-making piece comes into play for these girls. So all of the lessons are woven into games and activities where they're running and playing. But at the uh, the bigger picture is they're gaining these tools to uh, become resilient, empowered young women. You mentioned the critical word empathy, which is really 
what drives our conversation today. And you and I know as Ashoka Fellows that Ashoka is engaged in this really worldwide empathy initiative and an effort to uh, bring together the work of so many diverse fellows and even people beyond the fellowship, change makers who are helping children to master empathy and helping to promote a culture of empathy. And I, I wonder if you could talk about your curriculum and how it really approaches the subject of empathy and developing empathy skills, and maybe even give us, if you can, some examples from your experience of how that has played out in practice. Yeah, so um, empathy is, it's just, it's just throughout the entire curriculum. So from the very first lesson, we, we don't actually use that word except in one of the lessons. But it's creating this safe space in this culture where every girl feels okay about sharing who she is. And it, it, it just cultivates this really safe place. Um, but, you know, my, my feeling is that empathy, empathy is the first step towards so many other, um, towards a person's ability to connect with another person. Mm-hmm. And many of those things, like one of the lessons we have is on what it means to be a good listener. And oftentimes, you know, we listening and hearing are two very different things. So this whole lesson, it actually has the girls split up into groups of two and they each share something that is very meaningful to each other. And they look for, you know, what is being said? What is the content? What is the value? And then what is the takeaway? And it's it's this conversation where we're not just listening to the words the other person is saying. We're actually helping to understand what is what is valuable about what they're saying. And it's, it's just very powerful to watch these kids um almost naturally do it but you know certainly they need to put words to what they're doing right you you um you've talked and written i think very powerfully about the role of self-esteem in the development of women particularly these ideas about feeling love and being worthwhile Mm -hmm. and how love of oneself and appreciation for one's strengths and even learning as a woman to love and celebrate one's sexuality is all part of building this resilience that comes from self-esteem. And I wanted to ask you specifically about what insights you may have about the role of self-esteem in developing empathy. Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I will, I will, sort of position it from a a quick story just of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I was in sixth grade, and this may seem a bit lighthearted at first, but I promise you I'm going somewhere with it. Okay. When I was (laughs) in sixth grade, um, I can remember being on the playground and I was a late bloomer. Okay. Very late bloomer, a physically a late bloomer. And many of my peers were developing, you know, maturing physically and on the playground. And when you're in middle school, that carries a lot of power. So Suddenly, I was no longer receiving the attention I had received as a, um, you know, fun, funny sixth grader. The girls that were maturing physically were getting a lot more of the attention from the boys than I was. Right. <laughs> and so what began to happen there, because for whatever reason, and I'm not blaming anybody, I would say that my self-esteem was not perhaps as high as I sure hope my own child's is, you know. <laughs> But instead of being able to sort of observe that for what it was, I began to judge the girls that were receiving the attention. 
and judge them harshly. And and there's not anything that they had done, correct? All that had happened was they were just maturing. So I began to filter. Again, I'm back to this girl box. It's It sort of positions itself around that age where I was blaming those girls for receiving the attention. And this is where I think um, self-esteem has a critical role. Had I been, and I'm not, you know, we all have an ebb and a flow with it. I'm not saying that anybody's perfect. But had I been really centered and sure of myself, which I hope the girls and girls on the run are, it, I wouldn't have lashed out or, or judged the other person. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. I would have yes. been more, more just observing and understanding and that this is kind of the way it is. And I would have certainly been more empathetic towards towards my peers that were receiving the attention often when they didn't want it. Right. So I just think that um, it's that, that self-esteem really roots us in the ability to be present for, for other people wherever they are. It's interesting. I, I have noticed that in my own children and, and I've noticed that, you know, when you're hurting or when something is really wrong, it's, it, one becomes more self-centered and, you know, as you build your own, emotional reservoirs and become stronger you like you like you just said you're then able to be more available for other people and to get out of your own head yeah more do you do you see that kind of development happening with the girls that oh, you engage in your program completely and and then another um sort of element of the girl box is in some cultures um and areas this people pleasing this need to make sure everyone is happy and that the world is okay and that when someone is hurting, like we immediately want to get in there and fix it and make it better for them, which isn't always helpful. You know, sometimes um, I know it, you know, I have a friend that's hurting, being a good listener and helping them work through it is probably a far better help than trying to like correct it or fix it for them or offer advice. And um, so I think empathy is allowing a person to be where they are, even if it's a very painful space. And right. I, I see we see that we actually have a whole lesson on people pleasing and just sort of allowing others to work through, but to be available to them. Um, but, you know, I do think that's another element of what we look at with the empathy. And part of that resilience that you help uh, young women develop gives them the courage then to be who they want to be instead of what other people are projecting onto them. So, Is that, am I uh, hearing that totally. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. and then to to just delight when one of your friends is doing the same, <laughs> you know, where it's it's this like just awesome, delicious celebration of how we're alike, but also honoring and embracing our differences. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> This Innovate series features dialogue with some of the most influential advocates for changing our world, from the CEOs and founders of major nonprofits to the directors of cultural and academic institutions. Innovate demonstrates the vital role of empathy as an agent for that change. Innovate and Aspire are produced in partnership with Ashoka, Innovators for the Public, the Kellogg Fellows Leadership Alliance, and the Philadelphia Social Innovations Journal, and presented by Arch Street Press and the Public Radio Exchange. We now return to our Innovate interview with David Castro and Molly Barker, founder of Girls on the Run.
I was really impressed with the very broad perspective that Girls on the Run promotes in looking at what it means to be healthy. You know, all these different elements of health, social, physical, mental, spiritual. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how the curriculum really gives its participants a holistic view of, of an individual. Sure. So um, all of the lessons are rooted in this whole person health. So there isn't a single moment, really, there is one lesson that is solely on nutrition, you know, which I would say is a very physical kind of conversation. But we, we in that particular lesson, we'll certainly spend some time in the space of, you know, it's important that we care for our bodies so that these amazing gifts and talents that we have on the inside are able to flourish. So it's this amalgam, this awesome mix of conversing about all of these things almost in one full sentence. Um, and there is no isolation of one from the other. I will say that um, with the obesity epidemic, and I don't even know that I even like that word, with the conversation around obesity currently, um, there's been a lot of conversation about girls on the run and how it is certainly reducing or helping uh, kids in that realm. But what's interesting is we've never, ever spoken of obesity or put ourselves into that realm at all because in conversing only about the physical, we're missing out on the four, the, like the full elements of a person. So we, we are very much into making sure that um, we're identifying how to be emotionally healthy. And we even don't address uh, religion at all, but we definitely address a connectedness to something, you know, bigger than yourself, whatever that is for a young girl in terms of her spirituality. And that's great because then the program can remain open to such a diverse set of participants, right? So you don't get locked into one yeah. And even, lane. Yeah, and even if that means for her, she's free to say she's not identified with any, you know? So, right. um, yeah, I love that space. Love it. You, your curriculum is really more than uh, addressing personal empowerment. You're also building teamwork and interpersonal skills and helping young women understand the world in which they live in. Can you talk a little bit about those elements of the curriculum? Sure. What, um, and, you know, if it, the, the one other piece that I just want to mention, and it, it does fall in line with what you just asked, but it might digress a tad. One of the lessons that we use with our kids, which is completely around the empathy conversation, but also helps them get a landscape of the world around them, is uh, an acronym the girls have named SBLUR, S-B-L-R, Okay. And it they've come up with that name, but it is it's when you are trying to identify or help someone rather than leap into the drama of the other person because oftentimes when a person is upset that's where they are. Mm. You stop, breathe, take 3 to 5 deep breaths, you listen and then you respond. And mm. so this has been, you know, whenever I'm traveling around the nation, I'm just amazed at how the girls have captured onto this. It's it's like it just it captures them. They know when to use it. It's relevant in any situation. You know, uh, if someone is trying to pressure you into, let's say, for example, have a cigarette and you're in middle school. If you stop, breathe, listen and respond, it just gives you a buffer between the action, your immediate reaction and the response. And in terms of empathy, it's been very powerful for the girls to stop and just be present for the person. You know, those three deep breaths are really relevant. Um, 
and then your question to the larger picture, uh, the whole third, last third of the curriculum, the girls develop a community impact project. So they, as a team, identify areas of interest, and then they, as a team, vote on what they would like to do to positively impact the, that within their communities. And here's where empathy plays another big role. You know, they've really got to kind of start where the people are and identify areas of need within their own communities, and then they address those. Awesome, awesome. That Both of those things, the community project and also that splur <laughs> a mnemonic is fantastic. I think that the whole world needs that because as you see people escalate conflicts, so much of that could be avoided if people could just, as you said, stop, breathe, listen, you know, and then respond. Absolutely. So terrific, uh, terrific stuff. I have to ask you just because I'm so curious, your program has scaled so beautifully mm -hmm. and so dramatically. And I wonder if you could share with us a little bit of that journey. How did you go from 13 girls in one location to over 176 locations? And now I think even with some work going on internationally. Could you tell us just a little bit about that journey? It must have been uh, quite a ride at different points. Yeah, you know, I, um, uh, I, I, you know, I'm always flabbergasted. I, I, it's still, it's still truly unbelievable to me how big this program has gotten. And I do think that it didn't come without a lot of um, personal discomfort <laughs> because, you know, as a program grows, I, a person has to let things go. Right. And I've had to really let a lot of it go. But once I realized that letting go meant that we would meet, reach many, many more girls, it is almost amazing. Two things happened. One, the right people came, mm -hmm. the right people that could help strategically implement a growth model that was scalable and would sustain and make sure the growth was of quality. Right. They came, and then I began to look out for them. So it was both a reactive sort of thing and a proactive sort of thing. And I guess it was around 2005, six, we um, got a hold of our, our current president, who is Liz Coons, who is just a, a big-picture, strategic, and visionary sort of individual who's been able to really help put some systems and an infrastructure in place. And our growth since her, you know, since her and, and the team has come into place has just gone, just esc you know, it's just been astronomical. Wow. So I do think it takes, it does take a, a team, certainly, to have that sort of growth occur. And if, give us a practical sense. If someone is listening to this and they say, boy, I want to do this in my community, yeah. how would it happen? Uh, you mean Girls on the Run? Yeah, or, Girls yeah. on the Run, yeah. Yeah, um, they would, and it's awesome how, how nice and systematized it is in a way, you know. Um, they would just go to our, our website and there's a button that they would hit that said, I'm interested. And then um, someone from our office, Kimberly, would get in touch with them and just would begin the process. So there's an application that is fairly lengthy where people do a needs assessment within their own community. I mean, it's, it's, it's a several month process. Then we would interview them and then they would be accepted. You know, it, we are a, a franchise model. Basically, so what happens is every council sets up their own 501c3 mm -hmm. so that it remains homegrown. You know, all funds will, you know, when people are raising money for Girls on the Run of Cincinnati, they know that the money's going to Girls on the Run of Cincinnati. And um, so we really escort people through that process because it's a big deal to start a, 
a nonprofit in your you know town or city. Sure. If somebody's interested, they can just go to well, girl, yeah. girlsontherun.org and, yep. and get some help immediately. Yeah, and really we do hand hold some hands through that process because it's not easy um, to get that going, you know, to get a whole, you know, all the funding and everything else. So That's great. I have to ask you, I noted that you have both a son and a daughter, and I just, I am, I have a daughter and three sons, and I, I just wondered, how has your work with young women affected your relationship with your son on his journey to adulthood? Could you comment on that? And I guess the larger question of does work that focuses on teaching and develop, helping young women development develop and is particularly develop empathy, what does it have to teach us about the development of young men and their uh, sense of empathy? You know, um, I'm going to – my son – has grown up with girls on the run. Um, he, he's just not known anything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, to watch him navigate high school and the women and the girls that he is surrounded by, um, and how he treats them is, is stellar. Like, I, I don't even know what to say about him. I'm very proud of him. I will get emotional when I speak about that. <laughs> um, and I will share with you that recently he was in a situation where, um, some boys were speaking very negatively of, of another girl in his class and he wasn't quite sure what to do there. You know, it was actually a case of almost bullying, but gender related, you know, right. the negative. And, um, he, he spoke with me about that that evening on how to do that without looking like the kind of weak boy, you know, I mean, right. and so the next day he, he was very outspoken to that, those guys at the risk of becoming kind of the, the weak kid or the, the whatever that is. I don't even know the language. Um, but I do think engaging boys in this conversation is going to be critical. And we're really looking at how we're going to engage our dads. Yes. Because they're just, we've got to engage. We've got to engage our guys. You know, that's that was actually going to be my next question. As a father, yeah. you know, what do men and fathers in particular need to know about how to help their daughters to develop joy, self-respect, and healthful living. You know, if you think about it, and I don't mean to put a whole lot of pressure on you, David, but um, you are the first man in your daughter's life. And I think often that girls, you know, and will, will, what they learn there may proceed into their lives with, with their boyfriends and onward, you know, um, sometimes. And, so one of the things that we advise every dad or caregiver who's a, a male in a girl's life mm-hmm. is to c- compliment her, to try to avoid appearance-related compliments. Um, I think every girl loves to hear, oh, you look pretty today, or, you know, don't you, you know, blah, 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 but to not mm-hmm. spend much time in that space, to ask things like, tell me something about your day that I need to know, right. or, wow, you know, how did you feel when you you know, uh, cross the finish line or, you know, not something related to their appearance because they're going to get enough of that in the other parts of their world. And you'd be amazed. Also just running, participating in sports with the girls. If you attend our girls on the run five Ks, there's so many dads there. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. It's amazing. So the lesson is to remember that there are other things than physical beauty and not to be overly overly focused on that and really inquire about all parts of your daughter's life 
and be there uh, for their development, I guess, is what I'm hearing. Anything else? Yeah, no, the, I mean, those those would be the main ones. I also think, um, again, you know, to practice our own empathy skills with our kids. Right. Because it's easy to leap, um, especially when our children are saying something that we're either one, don't want to hear, or even worse, terrified to hear. Right. You know, right. coming out of their mouths. Um, but to try to practice that splur of not, you know, responding with your mouth wide open and, oh, no, you didn't kind of response. <laughs> You know, and to just be available and listen and um, save the oh, no, you didn't for, you know, another adult that you can share that with. Got it. Got it. <laughs> you know, Molly, in preparing for the interview, I had a chance to read some of parts of your book, Girls on Track, mm-hmm. and really found it to be a wonderful book. And I encourage listeners to go and buy a copy. I really love the last chapter, especially the, mm. the title is When Mothers Rule the World. And uh, as a father of four, I, I've really come to have the utmost respect and reverence for motherhood. Uh, I really found that in that chapter, especially, you wrote beautifully about the experience of being a woman and motherhood and, and how women really uniquely experience children and some of the problems and challenges that face communities around the world. Um, if you'd indulge me, I'd like to just read a little passage uh, from that chapter and ask you to comment on it. you right there. You say, women's hands are powerful. We know the world through what our hands feel, embrace, and love. We build our lives on relationships, take time to touch our children, hug our neighbor, and reach out to others. We are in the global trenches, the front line, working one-on-one with one another and with children. We hold our crying babies relate to their fear, and constantly reassure in spite of the chaos around us. We need to take the hands of our lovers, our sons, and our fathers, and walk them gently into our world. Show them the wonder of motherhood, the universal and immediate connection we feel with our sisters, whether we live in the United States, Iraq, or any other part of the world. The women of the world need to take the hands of their husbands and sons and softly place them on the first kicks of our growing babies and marvel at the life there. We need to walk them through the halls of our lives, through the countless hours we spend nurturing little broken hearts and feelings. We need to gently take their hands in ours and coach them in the artistry of molding anger into growth and revenge into forgiveness. So I just thought that was so wonderful, and particularly the artistry of molding anger into growth and revenge into forgiveness. Such a profound thought. And I wonder if, in offering some closing thoughts, you can talk a little bit about the relationship between men and women in our culture and and how that can evolve into something that promotes a culture of empathy around the world. Yeah, you know, oh, I'm almost going to (laughs) cry. I haven't read that in a while. That, that, that's, Gives me chill bumps. Um, you know, what I have found, again, is how can I be empathetic towards my brother, you know, towards my, towards the fathers, towards the men that are as entangled in the man box as I am in the woman box, you know, and I think about what men are missing and what they're, what they're, what they're not able to experience because you know, their gender tells them so, you know, to cry, to uh, feel the pain that 
they feel, you know, as they send their boys off to war. You know, I, I, I've got to believe that somewhere rooted deep within is some sort of sorrow at that. And yet we we don't we just don't allow them to feel that. And, I, and I, that's what I think women can do if we and rather than be angry at men, you know, um, just invite them. And, and be open to and listen just as we do with one another. I, you know, I, I, that's, I think that's all I can say about that. You know, I've, I've tried to do that with my own son. And I see this, like, sensitive, strong, and tender and tough guy all at the same time. So I think it's possible. That's terrific. And I, I, I really think that is so uh, such an important and powerful thought because men are – responsible for so much of the damage that happens in the world and and they need help you know they need probably as much help in uh growing out of their boxes as as you said as women need getting out of their boxes and uh, i just thought that was right on so i'm hoping more people will go out and and read that and think about what to do about it Mm -hmm. yeah i just don't think we know we don't know what we don't know and as you know, as long as as a man is a man, and 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 stuck inside that man box, he doesn't know how fabulous it is outside of it. That's terrific, Molly. Tell us, is there anything you can tell us about the future of Girls on the Run that we need to be on the lookout for? No, I just know that we've had a lot of queries from around the world, and we're looking forward to not in the next three three years because we've still got a lot of work to do here in the North America. But we're looking forward to growing to other parts of the world. And thanks to Ashoka, seriously, we've we've already begun to make some inroads in that realm. That's that's really all. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, Molly. I'm thanks hoping that uh, as your work continues, you'll consider coming back and having another conversation with us in the future. Thank you, David. Thank you for joining us today. Our library of interviews and a range of further resources may be found at archstreetpress.org or prx.org.